Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. All right. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Um, we have a very special guest today, and I've known uh, Dr. Stephen Fadum, and I believe since the early 90s. And he's a nephrologist, and he practices in Houston, Texas. He's the founder of Kidney Associates, and he's very active in the kidney community. He's the chairman of American Association of Kidney Patients, AAKP, and he's also uh, chairman of the Medical Advisory Board for NKFs of Texas, so he's very involved, and I always see him. We always seem to be, when we're at meetings, we're, it's like a cruise ship. We always seem to pass in the night when, you know, there's thousands of people. We seem to be on the same path. So I'm so excited for him to be here, and welcome to the show, Dr. Fatum. Thank you. Well, it's an honor to be here. Well, you know, it's it's really exciting to, to learn some of the things that you've done. And one of the things that I find so compelling about you and your story as a physician is that you did have a little health crisis for a while. And I think it makes you understand a, a little bit more of what a person who has kidney disease is dealing with. Can you, you share a little bit about that? Yes. In 1997, I had a sarcoma on my leg, a lump develop on my leg. And uh, it was uh, a pretty bad tumor, and it metastasized to my lungs. And uh, it was pretty frightening because being a doctor, you know, I was in the back room looking at x-rays. And so I I was just looking at this guy's x-ray, and they said, oh, this guy's got cancer all over his lungs. He looks horrible. And the radiologist said, oh, that's uh, you. And so I, I pretty much freaked out. But I went on chemotherapy, and I had uh, surgery. And uh, luckily, I was responsive to the chemotherapy, and uh, I'm here today. Uh, anytime you have cancer, you never know what's going to happen in the future. It's, a, it's, it's, it's pretty scary. Unfortunately, whenever you are on massive doses of chemotherapy, it does cause damage to your kidneys. And so I probably have a little underlying damage, but I've been practicing what I preach for my own health, and luckily the disease has not progressed since uh, 1999. It's pretty much stayed like it, it, it uh, was back then, suggesting to me at least that if you work hard enough, you can keep your kidneys, if you have chronic kidney disease, you can keep your kidneys from getting worse over uh, several years. Well, and I think what's important is for people listening to the show is that whenever you're taking any kind of medication, whether it be an antibiotic or you take, you know, medication for cancer, uh, your kidneys take a little bit of a hit. You, you know, they're pretty fragile. So you have to um, always be on the lookout for the care of your kidneys, no matter if you have kidney disease or not. <laughs> that is so true. I know. Um, I, I think that's uh, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, some of the uh, non-steroidal medications are hard on your kidneys. And it's, you know, I'm constantly, you know, warning people about, you know, the dangers of Advil. If you, you know, you take too much of it and you don't know what your kidney function is, it can really impact your health. That is, that's exactly right. I, I could spend a whole hour talking about the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory <laughs> agents, but you just have to realize your kidneys evolved probably 
around the time of the dinosaurs and reptiles and uh these medications evolved in the last 10 20 30 years so your kidneys never had an opportunity to adapt to these kind of medications and they can be very very toxic well i have a question how does a cockroach do have they evolved <laughs> Cockroaches do fine. They don't have a blood system. They have perilymph. Oh, okay. <laughs> they seem to be, uh, they've been around for a long time, and they seem to be doing I'm, very well, at least uh, down here in Houston. I just had this weird thought about, you know, do cockroach kidneys fail? Because, you know, they're the ones that are going to survive. And I'm like, you know, they probably don't have kidney failure, you know? Yeah, they, they have an interesting system. They, <laughs> I don't know why I digress to that, but... Yeah, they love Houston. They do, huh? I know. Well, when I was in Florida for a short time, you could have taken them for a ride. They were so big. So, oh, yeah. Um, well, um, you know, uh, I learned that you wrote a book called The Essentials of Chronic Kidney Disease, and this book was designed to help clinicians, you know, better understand chronic kidney disease. And I think it's it's a wonderful book. And can you please explain a little bit about... There's a couple of chapters in it, and tell us how the patient can help, you know, read this book. It's definitely a book that patients can read, and then also encourage their physician to read it and, you know, be a partner in care. Okay. Several several years ago, I wrote, uh, I edited a book called Issues in Dialysis, and it, it went over really, really well. We just kind of went over the main problems in the dialysis community and and how they can be solved. And we talked to several uh, very well-known people that I had known through the various committees and boards that I had been on, and I asked them to write chapters. And um, so I talked to the publisher, and I said, you know, we have a lot of patients with chronic kidney disease, and many of the physicians just, they, they, they just blank out when it comes to kidney disease. They don't have a clue about what to do, and we need something that is really, really practical down to earth that we can give to medical students and interns and residents, fellows and primary nephrologists, and the nephrologists can also read them too. And uh, so I have been for years the editor and either co-editor or editor of uh, the American Association of Kidney Patients uh, patient journal called Renal Life. So I pretty much learned through that how to write well in English so that people can understand it. So we wrote, I wrote some of the chapters in this book, but I also invited several other people that I had tremendous respect for to write chapters. And each chapter was reviewed and proofread as, as best we can proofread them so that they would be readable. So even though they're written for physicians, there's nothing in this book which is esoteric, and I'm certain that most patients who, you know, if you have a friend that can work with you, that maybe you're, you can show it to your doctor or show it to somebody, patients can also uh, benefit from this book. In fact, there are two chapters in it that I wrote. One is called Reverse the Reversible, where we take people and they have an abnormal uh, kidney function test, like a, a high creatinine or an abnormal urine and uh, they come to the office, and they've never had this uh, test even done before, and it's suddenly high. Our first goal is to find out, is there a reason why the test is elevated that may be 100% reversible? So in this chapter, we go through all of the reversible causes of, uh, of, of an elevated creatinine. And the second one, of course, is preventing kidney disease. 
And these are the basic steps that patients need to know, their doctors need to explain on what state-of-the-art information is out there today so that patients can try to keep their kidneys from progressing. This is pretty much, this chapter is a personal, almost a personal diary of what I do, and and it's extremely readable. So these two chapters I give to all my patients in the office. Well, that's uh, pretty remarkable. Can you give me an example of, you know, what, is a reversible situation if you have a high creatinine. Sure. You've, um, you've been dehydrated and you have a cold and uh, you don't feel well, so you've not been drinking much fluids and you've been sweating and you've had a little fever. You go to your doctor and the creatinine level is, say, 1.9 or 1.8 and it's generally 1.3 or maybe 1.2. So, what your doctor may want to do is say, get over your cold and uh, start drinking some fluids and come back in a few weeks and we'll recheck your serum creatinine to see what it is. Most of the time, the creatinines come back down. Other reversible causes of kidney disease or things like uh, patients might have had, um, might have been exercising or they might have uh, had uh taken a medication, uh, maybe a non-steroidal. There are several little things they can do that will raise the creatinine, but then they'll go right back down. And with exercising, it's basically because, you know, creatinine is basically, a, a, I'm just saying the term is like muscle, you know, or protein, right? And so that's the connection when you're exercising and, you know, that can raise it a little bit as well. Um, just trying to help our listeners understand because it it is, we don't want anybody to think it's not a good idea to exercise. <laughs> oh, no. I don't need to be encouraged. That's all I'm saying is like, oh, wow, Dr. Fadum said Everybody that it was a good exercise. day. Um, that's another lecture, <laughs> I know. You know, I think there's several here. Well, in the book, you know, one of the, um, you, you talk about cardiovascular disease. So can you give us maybe a quick summary of, you know, some, a, a little cheat sheet that patients should know um, to ask their doctor and then they can get more information from your book? Well, I think it's important that, that patients understand that chronic kidney disease uh, can be a risk factor for heart disease. And, uh, so if you go to the doctor and you have kidney disease, you need to make sure that your doctor is evaluating you also for uh, heart disease that may also be present. And the second thing is many patients with kidney disease have diabetes and many have hypertension. And both of those diseases can cause heart disease too. So, obviously, you want to keep your blood pressure under really, really good control, and you want to keep your diabetes under good control. So, the third thing is that sometimes um, when you have kidney disease, your body doesn't metabolize some of the minerals like calcium and phosphorus properly. And so, the phosphorus sort of gets uh, caught up in the blood vessels, and uh, and it binds up with calcium inside the blood vessels, and that can make the blood vessels stiff, and that can put a lot of wear and tear on the heart. These are things that, that if you have kidney disease, you have a risk factor to have heart disease, so you definitely want to be working with your doctor so that if you do have risk factors for heart disease, you're going to minimize them, and uh, you're going to try to do what you can to 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 get rid of them. And, of course, the best thing you can do to help your heart is watch your diet, take your blood pressure medications, 
uh, stay away from certain foods, and also to exercise, eat antioxidants, keep the uric acid under control, stay away from high fructose corn syrup. There's just a, eat lots of fruits and vegetables. There's just a lot of things that you can do. And if you hear about all this one time, it's kind of too much information. It's information overload. But if you sort of take the chapter and you kind of read a little bit of it every day and you go over it, then you start making it a habit. It becomes a good habit. Once it's a good habit, it becomes part of your lifestyle. And then it really is a you know, becomes uh, very rewarding, very gratifying, because you really are slowing, in many instances, the progression of your kidney disease. It, your disease is slowing down, and it's not progressing as fast as it would if you didn't exercise, ate junk food, and didn't control your blood pressure. No, it, it's... it's it. You know, uh, there's so much that we can do to help ourselves. So talk a little bit about anemia. I saw that this was a chapter, and somebody who came from, you know, started dialysis in the late 60s, um, you know, getting 150 units of blood before the uh, invention of ESAs, um, I think I have a lot of awareness about anemia, but I don't know if a lot of patients do. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, we pretty much depend on oxygen to survive. And oxygen has to go from our lungs to our blood vessels and then through our blood vessels down to the tissues. So it goes in these little bitty uh, things called red blood cells. And so what it'll do, you, you take a, a deep breath, that oxygen goes into your lungs, it goes inside those red blood cells and it binds up with iron, and then the iron is complex to a molecule called hemoglobin. And then the, that red blood cell ferries that oxygen down to a, a cell, and then that oxygen leaves the red blood cell and goes in, and it works like it does exactly in your gas tank. It, it creates energy. Now, if you have... A uh, lack of red blood cells, the oxygen's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to kind of pass through your lungs, and you're not going to get any energy to your tissues. Now, the kidneys are the organ that have been designated to control how many red blood cells you actually have. And they do that through a hormone called erythropoietin. That's a real fancy word. We all call it EPO. And so if you're, say, up in the mountains in Colorado, your body is going to, because there's not a lot of oxygen up there, your body is going to make a lot more red blood cells than you're at sea level. Now, if you have kidney disease, you're not going to make those red blood cells. So what's going to happen is you're going to have a lack of red blood cells or anemia. And back years ago, a company called Amgen created a... Um, a way to generate and, and, and synthesize this EPO and uh, then inject it. And by doing that, the body's able to make red blood cells and, and almost, you don't really want to normalize the red cell count, but you increase the red blood cell count so that you can get more oxygen to your tissues. And right now, there's research uh, going on that you can even take an oral pill 
that will help build up your red blood cells. So there are a lot of new drugs out there that will help build up your red blood cells so that you don't have to suffer from anemia like Lori is referring to and like I had to refer to when I was on chemotherapy. It is. And, you know, you don't want to get a blood transfusion if you don't have to, because if you become too anemic, you get a blood transfusion. And if you're looking for a transplant, um, you can get antibodies from that. So uh, patients really need to be informed and educated about anemia because it can make you feel pretty bad if you're not uh, properly managed. Right. If you're, if you're anemic, you really feel bad. And then if your hemoglobin is too high, then you can have complications too. So the, the doctor that you go to is going to be very, very aware of the range to keep your hemoglobin at so that you can maximize your exercise capacity and your energy uh, level and at the same time avoid potential complications of, uh, of uh, any of these drugs that we were referring to. Well, uh, talk a little bit about albumin because, you know, um, I think this doesn't get as enough attention sometimes among um, people who have kidney disease because they always think, oh, I have a restricted diet, I can't eat, I can't eat this. But really, in reality, you have to have a normal albumin or you're not going to do that well. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Albumin's a very, in, and this is in the book as well. Alan Friedman wrote this chapter um, albumin is a molecule that our body makes uh, every day. Our liver makes albumin. And if you have a metabolic acidosis or you're really, really sick or you have a bad inflammatory condition, then your body's not going to make as much albumin. And when you do, your body doesn't make a, a lot of albumin, then you're very weak and, and, and you're, you have a bad, uh, bad outcome. So... You want to always try to find out what it is that's causing your albumin to be decreased. Now, uh, one of the populations of patients that we deal with, the peritoneal dialysis populations, they lose a lot of protein in the peritoneum when they are on peritoneal dialysis. So we give them a lot of food supplements to build it up. Sometimes, if you're not hungry, then obviously you need to have some food supplements, and a low albumin is caused by the same condition that causes you to lose your appetite. But it's kind of a misconception that if you just eat a lot of food, your albumin will go up, and if you don't eat, then you'll have a low albumin. And we say that because some of the models on the catwalks with anorexia nervosa, they don't eat very much, they're starving to death, and yet they have a normal serum albumin, whereas we see people who are very overweight and they're really, really sick and they have a very, very low albumin, but they're not malnourished. So it's kind of tricky. And uh, the best thing if your albumin is low is to try to find out why and uh, talk to your doctor about it because it may be that there's some underlying conditions that can lower your albumin. And likewise, it may be that you have to raise it not just by eating, but by correcting those underlying conditions. A, well, and it is. I mean, you know, protein and understanding your albumin level is so important. Well, moving along, because uh, we, we got to wrap up soon, I want to cover one other topic, and that's bone and mineral disorder. And can you just give a brief overview of what that is and, you know, why patients need to talk to their doctor about it and be engaged? If you have kidney disease, 
even mild kidney disease, your body is going to stimulate some hormones to try to get rid of a product which is ubiquitous in our diet called phosphorus. And everybody probably knows what phosphorus is. It's the main ingredient in milk and cheese and in uh, meat and in plants and also in Coca-Cola and, uh, and some of the sodas that we drink. Now, phosphorus, our bodies figured out how to, to get rid of it with normal kidneys, but it, it doesn't get rid of it at all very well if your kidneys have failed. So the accumulation of phosphorus can interfere with your bones because your body stimulates a hormone called parathyroid hormone. And that hormone comes out of glands in your neck and it goes into the bones and it takes calcium out of the bones to bind up that phosphorus so that it, uh, because if the phosphorus is too high, it'll bind all the calcium in the serum and it'll, not all of it, but it'll bind enough of it that it can cause problems. So it causes a reaction and your body will have a high parathyroid hormone level. It's a big word now. But what it means is is that your bones are getting weak. And uh, so what you want to do is you got to be careful because you don't want your bones to get weak. The other thing is that the parathyroid hormone, when that calcium is in the circulation and the phosphorus is in the circulation and your kidneys don't work, your body can't get rid of the phosphorus as well. So it goes into blood vessels and it makes the blood vessels very, very stiff and that weakens the heart. So... That's why uh, this is a systemic disorder. It's not just bones. It used to be called osteodystrophy, and, uh, but it's, it's a mineral bone disorder that affects blood vessels too. The best way to control it really is to watch your serum phosphorus in your diet. Don't eat the phosphorus, which is in the processed foods, because your body doesn't know what to do with that at all, and it causes serious damage. So if you're a kidney patient, you should stay away from sodas and certain things that, that certain types of sodas that have phosphorus in them and certain other products that have a lot of phosphorus in them. And at the same time, there are binders that you can use, pills that you can take that will bind the phosphorus in your uh, abdomen and your duodenum and all these body parts so that it never really gets into the kidney and into the body and into the blood vessels. And then the third thing is you want to control the parathyroid hormone, and you can control that with vitamin D, taking vitamin D, and with another product if you're on dialysis called Sensipar and uh, or Senecalcid. These are, are very good ways to control the parathyroid hormone. So that's pretty much uh, the nuts and bolts of, of calcium and phosphorus. And it's so important because it's it's uh, something, you know, that will impact your life way down the line. And once it's, you know, the damage is done, it's hard to reverse it. Um, and so you have to really be proactive in this area. That's exactly right. Well, uh, the book is Essentials of Chronic Kidney Disease. And can you tell everybody where to go and where to get it? Just Google, Google Fatum or Google this on Amazon.com. Um, you know, I feel like I've just taken a, a college course in kidney disease, and I'm so grateful for all of your knowledge and all of your willingness to help uh, people who have kidney disease understand the illness. And any closing remarks before we wrap up? I didn't write all the chapters in this book, so the good news is is that you're not just you're getting some other doctors. I only wrote two of the chapters, 
there are 38 chapters, and they're written by some fabulous people. So I don't want to take too much credit for this book. And it's it's just really a, an outstanding product, I, because not of me, but because of the other doctors that contributed. And also the uh, the benefits from this book will go to help. Uh, it'll help AAKP. We're not keeping any of the royalties or anything like that. We're donating them to AAKP. So, and uh, maybe next time we'll do one and, and, and help the Renal Support Network too, which is an equally fabulous group. Uh, so, but but we wanted to make sure that that charities were were aided by this book. So uh, I hope that you know you'll tell your doctor about it. It's Essentials of Chronic Kidney Disease. And if you want to buy it and read it, um, uh, take it to your doctor's office, uh, have him help translate it. That would be great, too. Well, that's wonderful. And um, I thank you, and uh, I look forward to seeing you at the next conference. Anytime. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.